Well, good day and welcome to another episode here of the Disaster Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Davis, the pod medic, and I'm excited to be back with you. We've had a few days off uh, over the last couple of weeks simply because uh, it's hard to get people scheduled in the summertime with vacations and whatnot. But we're excited to be back with Dr. Joe this week with a clinical episode, and we'll have more about that in just a second. But before we jump into that, it's time to bring in my co-host, Sam. Hey, Sam. Hey, Jamie. Glad to hear your voice again, you and Dr. Joe. Yep. Yeah, it has been uh, very interesting trying to find people in the summer, but oh well. So what's the weather been like back east? Uh, we've had some some rain and storms. Um, it's been we we it's been pretty hot, but the heat's been broken up by rainstorms. So it's cooled it off just enough to make it bearable and um, broken some of the drought condition we've had in my area. Just the 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 rain is very welcome to the farmers around here. The corn's finally starting to respond and look a little better. So that's a good thing. Yeah, that's a good thing. And uh, for Joe, I could probably just say Memphis is hot. Uh, Memphis has been hot, but there's <laughs> there's stuff happening elsewhere that they've uh, actually put several teams on alert for. There's a really a pretty substantial rain event that's expected in St. Louis. Uh, I don't know tonight, tomorrow, in the very near future, with potentially five inches of rain. So <laughs> they've got some local teams on uh, alert already, and have kind of given us uh, at FEMA a heads up that uh, we may may get activated for something like that if it uh, goes really bad there. Well, you got time for that, right? Not. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm not doing anything else at all, so that'd be, that'd be great. Well, the reason I mentioned that is because uh, Paragon has been kind of going crazy, so why don't you tell us what Paragon's been up to? Uh, well, we have been uh, extremely busy. We just got back from uh, a big uh, lab for uh fire department in Orlando, Florida uh, that went uh, very well. Uh, we've got lots of requests upcoming, uh, several national meetings and uh, stuff all the way into uh, April of 2024 already. So um, it's picking up quite a bit. A lot of military based stuff, uh, definitely some stuff happening in that uh, arena. So, uh, you know, it's a good problem to have. Yeah. And, and I forgot to mention where uh, the. Um, uh, we're still in the process of revising the article on the uh, repeat study on the superglottic airway stuff. So we hope to have that done uh, in the fairly near future and get that submitted. Uh, and um, I'm certainly pleased to have been part of a submission that went in yesterday uh, and was uh accepted for presentation at, I think, the Society of Critical Care Medicine on uh, our Heads Up CPR uh, clinical results. Let us know when something comes out on that. Yeah, I expect something something back on that fairly soon. I'll keep you posted. Joe, you need a vacation, I think. Yes, yes, (laughs) I do. But it's... Hurricane season, and what I'm hearing, it's looking like it may be kind of ugly. So, yeah, uh, yeah exactly. And uh, I, I'd be fine with a little vacation time, honestly. I've got a little bit of downtime the next couple of weeks, and I'm looking forward to it for sure. Crawl in your hammock and throw your dog in there and get a glass of wine and take a nice nap. Amen to that. Sounds <laughs> perfect. 
Sometimes your backyard can be your vacation. Hey, that's um, I'm totally good with that. Well, speaking of Florida, um, I, I've been looking at some of this stuff, and there's some weird diseases that you didn't, we wouldn't think we would ever see again. They're just suddenly appearing. And one of them is leprosy. I think of all these people out on a colony in an island somewhere. Um, what's up with that? Yeah, there's actually uh, there's quite a few things happening in the infectious disease world. Uh, just so we don't forget, uh, COVID-19 is still around. And actually, hospitalizations have been increasing like 10% over the last several weeks. Um, so folks are still getting sick from that disease, not like like they did in the past, but we're certainly seeing it climb a little bit. So, uh, and I understand there's potentially a a new variant of the vaccine that's due out pretty soon. So, I will encourage everyone to get their latest booster uh, in hopes of uh knocking this thing down and getting it to go away but it, it seems to be hanging in pretty thoroughly and uh continuing to cause some problems so is there a new variant with COVID? since we don't pay that much attention to it anymore unfortunately there are a couple of new variants out there um related to COVID. I, i'm sorry i cannot call them off the top of my head there they've gotten you know b.2.4. alpha. you know your mother like whatever it's gotten a little crazy um you know as they continue to to mutate a little bit uh thankfully we've not seen anything that's been a mutation that has made the disease significantly more um uh lethal um but it continues to find ways to continue its transmission uh, around the globe. So uh, we're still seeing it. You know, the bottom line is it's not gone. And uh, there are still folks that are getting uh, sick enough to be hospitalized. And, and uh, while deaths have not increased yet, um, certainly with the uh, increased number of sick people in the hospital, the uh, the assumption is that the death rate may also begin to tick back up again. So, uh, again, just to throw that so you don't forget it. Yeah. Um, it's never going to go away, is it, Joe? I, I would say it's probably not. Uh, I think it is going to end up being, you know, a lot like the flu in, in many ways. And it's just going to kind of hang in there. And, you know, we still have deaths from the flu every year. And I think COVID will be yeah. similar. Joe, yeah. what about what about um, I, I know there's uh, talk of the new version of the vaccine coming out that'll be um dropping the original COVID variant, but picking up more Omicron um, responsibility or whatever you'd say for it. Is that true? Uh, it's coming out in September, so we're kind of a little ahead of this head of the game here with the COVID outbreak. Yeah, that's my understanding too, Jamie, that it's, uh, you know, it continues to be refined and revised based on the, the current uh, strands of the virus that are out there. Certainly the, uh, the earlier strand of COVID um, that caused a lot of the problems and was the source of, uh, you know, generating the initial vaccines that it's mutated enough now that the, the vaccine is no longer significantly effective against that version, which has pretty much disappeared. So it's uh, it's an effort to keep up with the, 
the uh, emerging uh, changes in the virus so that we have uh, we generate good immunity to it and keep folks safe. Well, would you say for the most part, either because of having COVID or because of having vaccines, that most people in our country are in pretty good shape against it? Uh, I think there's a lot of truth to that. Uh, you know, certainly having had COVID previously and generated an immune response to it will help you fend off another round of it, even though it may be of a different variant. Uh, there's enough similarly similarity uh, between the variants that uh, some of that immunity will will help you out. And then, you know, again, keeping your vaccine status up to date with current boosters will make sure that you have a more specific uh, immune response to the current versions that uh, of the virus that are out there. Yeah, unfortunately, I think people will go, ah, we don't need to deal with that anymore. And it not, may not be a good idea. So. All righty, leprosy. <laughs> yeah, so, so COVID is certainly not as frightening as it used to be, but it's still around. Uh, the other two disease, uh, infectious diseases that have popped up recently are uh, leprosy, as you mentioned, Sam, and uh, dengue fever. Uh, both of which have seen a pretty good outbreak uh, in uh, Florida, the southeastern United States. So uh, both of these uh, infectious diseases are being watched by uh, CDC and others fairly closely. Um, leprosy, uh, now called Hansen's disease, uh, has been around for a very long time. It's thought to be caused by a uh, a mycobacterium, which is the same uh, general class of bacteria that cause TB. Uh, so it, it tends to be a, a, a difficult disease to treat in that the, uh, uh, the mycobacterium in general are just sort of hard to, hard to get to with antibiotics and that kind of stuff. So most of the current therapy is focused around uh, much like TB, multi-drug therapy to ensure that we uh, wipe it out. But the, uh, the the challenge with Hansen's disease is that folks get uh, patches on their skin that may be light or dark patches uh, on the skin uh, and a, a loss of feeling in these areas of skin. So the, 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 the germ itself causes uh, not only the skin lesions, but um, affects the nervous system, uh, particularly the peripheral nervous system. Uh, and that's why it's important to make the diagnosis and initiate treatment. The, uh, the damage to the nervous system can result in uh, pretty substantial numbness, uh, weakness, loss of function, et cetera, uh, which can be pretty severely debilitating. So, a lot of the historical stuff related to uh, Hansen's disease were, um, you know, some pretty severe skin disfigurements associated with, uh, you know, a limb that uh, has uh, uh, dysfunctional use and uh, abnormal sensation and all that sort of stuff. So um, it, it's been better control, but it's still around. And 
what we're seeing in uh, in Florida is a bit of an uptick uh, in that uh, in that disease. So uh, again, much like TB, it's rather challenging to treat. Uh, requires some aggressive uh, antibiotic therapy. Uh, the diagnosis can be a little bit challenging just because mycobacteria are, uh, you know, difficult to um, to to find, difficult to uh, grow in uh, in a you know a petri dish or something, and uh, it can be sometimes challenging to confirm the diagnosis. So, uh, watching that very closely and uh, uh, hoping that we can stay ahead of that and uh, you know find identify those folks early so we can get uh, medication started to uh, prevent them from. Uh, the long-term pretty substantial effects of uh, Hansen's disease on the nervous system. Uh, and stay away from armadillos. <laughs> they say that armadillos carry that bacteria. Do we even have them? I guess we have them in like Texas. Oh, we totally have armadillos around. My dogs killed a couple in the backyard. <laughs> yep. They also think uh, environmental reservoirs are a potential source of transmission because one guy they interviewed in Florida said, you know, where it used to be people coming in from other countries, now it's like nobody knows. Um, these people haven't traveled, they haven't had exposure to sick people or armadillos, and uh, can't quite figure out. Well, I, I think that's part of the challenge with, uh, you know, diagnosing it, uh, even thinking about it in the first place, because it's, excuse me, the, uh, the, the, the patient population that we see that in now has changed quite a bit. Uh, and, uh, you know, I don't know if something is, has occurred in uh, some natural reservoir like armadillos, for all I know. Um, where the disease has been spreading quietly in in the wilderness to some extent, and now folks are interacting in those spaces more often than they used to be, and therefore getting exposed to the disease. Where you know, fifty years ago, that was a pretty uh, pretty rare occurrence. I think Jamie's scratching. I'm there, kind of wondering <laughs> <laughs> what kind of things are crawling around on him. Well, you know, I just think it's uh, you know it's one of those things that. It's why we have these clinical topics in these episodes is to spread the education out there of what's going on and, and uh, to help us uh, be aware of, of what could be out there in the community. Uh, because I think one of the challenges I've seen when I've read up about Hansen's disease has been the, um, you know, the, the lack of a, the lack of a quick diagnosis for lack of anything else that, find out about it you have to i guess you have to culture the bacteria before you can really clinically define that it is hansen's disease right joe yeah that's that's part of the challenge again it's sort of an insidious disease that um you know we don't tend to think of it's challenging to identify it in the first place because it's fairly slow in onset and um uh you know the skin lesions uh look a lot like several other disease processes. And so it takes some time to figure out what's going on, but it is definitely important to attempt to identify it, uh, particularly before uh, the involvement of the peripheral nervous system, because once the damage begins to occur to the peripheral nervous system, 
uh, treatment and cure of Hansen's disease with antibiotics does not reverse that process. So you want to identify it early so that you can wipe it out before uh, you get the, the peripheral neuropathy and crippling of hands and feet and that sort of stuff. Would it be a good guess that it mimics or has the same symptomology as other diseases that are more common? Uh, yes. Yeah, there's a lot of crossover, you know, general aches and, and you know, again, a weird looking skin rash and uh, your lymph nodes swell up, you know, all, all the hallmarks of any uh, sort of generic infectious disease are are pretty typical there. So uh, the challenge, I think, is is thinking about it and particularly thinking about it in a patient population that we used to not have to think about it much in that patient population. You know, we just didn't see it uh, except in, as you mentioned earlier, you know, perhaps folks that immigrated from an endemic country or that kind of stuff. But that's not really the case anymore. You mentioned dengue fever. That's not yeah, so, another, that's another one I wouldn't have thought. Yeah, exactly. So uh, also seeing an up, uptick in dengue fever, that's D-E-N-G-U-E, dengue fever. It is one of the uh, hemorrhagic fevers. So it's caused by a virus, not a bacteria. Um, and uh, it, uh, like Ebola and some of the other hemorrhagic fevers, uh, dengue fever is actually sort of colloquially known as uh, uh, breakbone fever because it gives you uh, pretty substantial uh, bone aches. Uh, so the, the achiness associated with this disease is, is marked and quite profound, but um, it presents much like you would uh, see many other febrile illnesses. Uh, in some cases, there's not any real specific therapy to it other than um, supportive care and that sort of stuff. Um, but the, the challenge with this disease is that for, for a, a small portion of the folks that get infected, they go on to uh, a pretty severe set of symptoms, the most uh, uh, problematic of which is uh, it affects your uh, clotting system and you end up with uh, uh, bleeding, you get uh, petechiae where you get rupture or leakage of blood out of the capillaries underneath the skin. So you get little tiny red dots uh, on your skin. You might get things like nosebleeds and other stuff like that. Uh, and that can progress to be pretty substantial uh, uh, bleeds that can ultimately result in uh, in death in many cases. So it can be, uh, again, like Ebola, uh, a very serious uh, viral infection in a, a small percentage of the folks that, uh, that get it. Uh, and, and the challenge, again, is uh, a, uh, an initial symptom complex that's not very specific and looks a lot like a whole lot of other diseases that uh, would be much more common and, and therefore uh, may get overlooked. So it's a, it's a diagnostic challenge uh, initially to, uh, to figure out that that's the disease process that you might be dealing with. Um, I want to think of petechiae, I think of meningitis. Does it kind of look like that? 
it, it is uh, can be similar uh, to some of the bacterial uh, meningitis, particularly pneumococcal meningitis, which causes a, a petechial rash. Uh, I've actually never seen a case of dengue, um, although I've seen several pneumococcal uh, uh, meningitis rashes. Uh, just from looking at you know pictures and studying about the disease, it looks to me like the the tiny subcutaneous hemorrhages in dengue are uh, much smaller, sort of like uh, almost pinpoint looking uh, compared to a much larger uh, subcutaneous hemorrhage or petechiae uh, from uh, pneumococcal meningitis. Those, those are big and, you know, quite apparent with uh, with uh, dengue, you have to look pretty closely at the skin to be able to see them because they're they're fairly tiny. Well, getting creeps here. So, was a, did you have any more, Joe? Or no, that that's your... that. Those are the two uh, <laughs> that are particular. Well, along with COVID, those yeah. are the ones that are sort of on the rise and in the news. Uh, that that we need to at least you know refresh ourselves on from a healthcare perspective. Uh, and, and to make certain, it, uh, it, it's also summertime, which means uh, lots of tick-borne illnesses out there, uh, Lyme disease, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, all of those, many of which have very similar early clinical presentations of the two I've been talking about. So uh, I, I think the issue here is don't take those things lightly. Uh, for many of those diseases, including Rocky Mountain spotted fever, et cetera, uh, they can have long-term, pretty severe uh, effects on uh, various body systems, particularly the neurological system. Uh, and it is important to, uh, uh, you know, watch for something unique or different about them and get seen by somebody so that they can be diagnosed early. Well, in closing, I found one that I'll mention. None of us know anything about it really, but it, it's it's weird enough to be of interest. Called Melio, meliodosis, and it's found in soil and water along the Mississippi Gulf Coast. So those of you down there might want to take notice. But it's amoeba that can cause an infection uh, that causes an amoebic meningioencephalitis um, or the brain-eating amoeba, which That's is correct. kind of yeah. scary. They had uh, CDC reported 157 people diagnosed with it in the U.S. and only four survived. Um, yeah, they found them in swimming it, pools and, and places like that. And exactly. It, it's, you know, ponds and lakes and that kind of stuff, usually with people with a history of swimming. Uh, so the, the amoeba is in the water, particularly brackish water and that sort of stuff. Uh, it gets, uh, you know, up into your nose and burrows its way through your mucous membranes to to get access to to the body and it tends to uh, uh, for some reason uh, end up in the brain pretty frequently uh, and as with many small lesions in the brain they're quite silent for a long time until the uh, uh, symptoms are pretty severe or the disease is fairly progressed so uh, it's uh, uh, can be challenging to diagnose early which is part of the reason the outcome is not very good. Hmm. 
So you creeped out yet, Jamie? Well, you know, I think the lesson here for us in the clinical setting is to really focus on a good and thorough patient history because obviously, depending on where you are, if someone has had recent travel to an area where some of these diseases are prevalent, even if you're in the Northeast or um, the Northwest or some other part of the country that doesn't experience things like mosquito-borne illness from like dengue fever, uh, you still need to be aware of um, people traveling there and what they might come back with that presents a few days later after they've returned home. So uh, I think it's important, as I'm sure Joe would agree, that you know getting a good thorough history on have you been traveling, uh, what kind of activities have you, have you been participating in, and things like that might be the way to uh, kind of suss out what's been going on. Yeah, that's a great point, Jamie. Uh, you know, I, I think the other thing I think about, particularly from a responder standpoint, is the uh, really critical importance of decon. Uh, you, you just don't know what kind of stuff you may have been exposed to. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's not uncommon at all to, um, in in a, a particularly a big disaster of some sort. You know, we tend to not think about things like sunscreen and uh, bug repellent and a bunch of other stuff that might prevent one of these illnesses from occurring, uh, particularly in an environment where. Uh, everything's all it has been stirred up, and uh, although that weird amoeba may have been in some little brackish pond located on the back of some farm, uh, because of the weather, it's been spread into a you know a whole different water system now that we've been trudging through in search of folks. So uh, I think it's uh, it's all about uh, taking the proper precautions and doing the doing good, uh, not only PPE but decon when you're done. Well, in, in your USAR world, Joe, you guys are in kind of the worst case scenario when it comes to flooding and things like that. Um, how do you keep your guys healthy? Well, I, it, it's exactly those points, right? You've got to really focus on uh, ensuring that you've got the right PPE for the situation, that you uh, uh, you weigh the, the, the benefits versus the risk of a potential exposure uh, and, and try not to put yourself into environments that uh, pose a higher risk than they do a benefit. Uh, and, uh, and then at the end of that process, ensuring that, uh, you know, you're aggressive in your, uh, in your decon, whether that's your equipment or your body. There you go. Back to you, Jamie. And, you know, Joe, I, I think, you know, this is always a great time for talking about educational topics and, and things going on. You, you opened up the show talking about how busy Paragon is at the risk of making you busier. <laughs> I, I'd love to hear um, how folks can get in touch with you and find out how they can bring some of your amazing uh, educational topics to their communities as well. Well, thanks, Jamie. Yeah, certainly busier is a, is a good problem to have. We uh, we love to teach and uh, we certainly uh, relish the opportunity to to uh, set up classes for folks. So uh, I think the best thing to do is have folks reach out to us so that we can talk through all the options and understand what it is you're trying to accomplish. Uh, they can uh, they can find us at Paragon Medical Education Group on the web, uh, Paragon Medical Group on Facebook, or they can always reach us through the Disaster Podcast and the Disaster Podcast Facebook page. Awesome. Sam, how can folks find you? 
Well, you can find me in the usual social media places under Sam Bradley or Sam Bradley 11 and our awesome Facebook community for the Disaster Podcast and on the disasterpodcast.com. What about you, Jake? Well, folks can find me under the handle Podmedic in most social media locations. So look me up and friend or follow me wherever you find me. And of course, also in the Disaster Podcast Facebook group and at disasterpodcast.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the show either in your favorite podcast app or directory, um, or just go to disasterpodcast.com and there's a subscription link for your favorite device right there below every podcast audio player on each podcast episode page. So uh, definitely look for how to subscribe so you don't miss any of our future episodes. We've got some great topics coming up for you in the coming um, month or so as we've been able to wrangle people back from vacation finally. And uh, we'll be bringing those to you in the coming weeks. So you'll definitely want to look forward to that. Absolutely. So for, for people that are sick, let's say your doctor, for responders, same thing, but be be particularly aware of the dangers you face out there post-disaster, because that can be really nasty 